Funny story time. Funny story time. Some of you guys have already heard it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell some more funny story time. All right, here's the deal. Saturday morning, I work Saturdays from 8 till noon, and uh, I had to change a, uh, a window motor in an in a old truck, okay? And uh, that's the part that makes the window go up and down. The window sits on what we call a regulator. That's what actually lifts it up and down, which is operated by the motor. I know some of you guys are already lost. It's cool. I'm going to change it. So I take apart the door, and I'm going to pull the motor out of the regulator. And as I'm working on it, I'm really not paying attention to where my hands are at. And the window motor springs from the regulator, and I didn't realize that the regulator was a spring-loaded one. I've never worked on one like that. So the two pieces slam together and pinch for all four of my fingers in between them. And the pieces of metal are only like an eighth of an inch thick. So it's like two knife blades like slam together and hold my fingers together. Not like a little bit of pressure, but like enough where like you can't get your fingers out. My hand is stuck inside the door, pinched by this huge, these two pieces of metal. So Mike is working on the front of the truck, so I calmly call Mike. I say, Mike, you need to come over here and help me. So Mike comes around, he's like laughing. I'm like, you need to get a pry bar. He's like kind of laughing. I'm like, no, actually, I'm really serious. This really hurts. <laughs> you need to get a pry bar. And Mike saw what, I, what I tell, I've told him in the past is one of the funniest moments if you work in automotive stuff for a while is the point where it crosses from being funny into where it's really painful. And you see that look in the person's eye where they're like, no, seriously. <laughs> it, it's no longer funny. It's funny to you. But it's no longer funny in their eyes. Mike got to see it in my eyes that day. So I grab, he's trying to get a pry bar. It wouldn't work. I mean, it is pinching hard and really painful and getting worse every second. So luckily I had a large screwdriver. I wedge it in there and I kind of just work it back and forth, cram it, and finally get it far enough that I can pull my hand out and it slams shut inside the door. Anyways, the side of my fingers, my pinky and my pointer finger, were literally pinched so that the skin was basically just touching bone. They were purple and black on, on the points where they touched. <clears throat> so I work, I work some, some blood back into them. They feel okay. <clears throat> until I realized the fact that the next day and the day after, I have no feeling on the outside of either my, my pointer finger or my pinky. Still, today, Thursday, I have no feeling on the outside of my, point, um, outside of my pinky and just a little bit of feeling on the outside of my pointer finger. They feel kind of numb. You know like when you sit on your hand, you ever do that and then it gets numb? Or like you sleep on your arm, whatever? That's what it feels like on both points in that. So I think I caused serious damage. So anyways, I hope your week was a little better than mine. It started out a little rough. Excuse me while I clear my throat, hopefully for the last time. <coughs> we, did, we did Pirate Night last night, and I shouted at the top of my lungs for a song we did. As I did that like the fifth time, I realized that screaming as loud as you possibly can, where it actually hurts my ears, is probably not a good idea the night before you're supposed to speak. And then we did Ship Captain, and I called... So if my voice is like this, I'm just sorry you're going to have to deal with it tonight. Hopefully I won't have to do <coughs> every so often, right? It'll just have to be a little scratchy enough to deal with it. So hope your week was great. Hope you're here tonight for one reason and one reason only. That's to learn about Jesus Christ, to learn more about him, to understand him better. As I said, the series is about what Jesus said, and is it possible that he said these crazy outlandish things that we've been talking about? Maybe even change your perspective on Jesus in just a little bit as we go through this. Our first two messages so far, hate your mom and cut off your hand, as you guys have realized, have been commands by Jesus to people. 
Okay? Tonight and next week, we shift gears, and we are going to two statements that he said about himself. They're not commands anymore. They're things that he said about himself. So a little different, same deal, though. Things that maybe you wouldn't believe he said. So tonight, we're just going to get right into it. The message is called, I Bring a Sword. That is the name of the message tonight. Now, some of you guys are probably thinking, where in the Bible did Jesus say, I bring a sword? Where did he say that? And if he did, who the heck was he talking to that he mentioned to them that he was bringing a sword? Maybe this isn't really Jesus' personality in your mind. You think, that doesn't sound like Jesus, right? He said it, though. It's true. I want you guys to uh, get to Matthew 10, 34. This is where we're going to kind of hang out tonight. So find it, put your finger on it, and keep it. And I'm going to read it for you. You guys can find it as I read it for you. He's talking to the disciples. And um, he's kind of explaining different stuff about him, about what it's going to be like to be his follower, all these different things. And he gets to 34, where he says this in the NIV. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That's crazy, right? Some of you guys are thinking, well, that really sounds nuts. Is that Jesus? Are you sure? Not only that, but some of you are probably scared and thinking, uh-oh, he's attacking family again. Sounds familiar. Two weeks ago, didn't we just talk about hating our mom? And now he's talking about dividing us from our mom, from our dad. And he's talking about the family again. We could get a little scared about it, right? Jesus Christ says that, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword the man re- re- actually referred to as the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace, said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. That's kind of crazy, right? I have one response to that. Oh, baby. Here comes Jesus again saying something crazy, and some people are going to be shocked about this, but I tell you this, not me. This makes me excited. Let me tell you that this gets me fired up. I came to bring a sword. I came to bring a sword tonight. I figured, actually I had this last night at uh, our pirate night, but I figured I came to bring a sword too as well, so I decided to bring a very sharp, very real sword, if anyone wants to test it. It'd kill you. And I decided I would bring a sword tonight as well, to go along with this. So, it's scary a little bit, right? Some people would say this is crazy, but this is what I'm talking about. This is the Jesus Christ that I really want to get to know. Because this blows my mind. He says, I came to bring a sword. Seriously. Swords, just by thinking about the name, and then I have one for you to look at, they're scary, aren't they? They're deadly, very sharp, when you look at them, you kind of recall scenes of people getting cut down, stabbed, run through. It's a very frightening shape, isn't it? I, I, would, I would dare to say that a sword is scarier than a gun, is it not? It's a very frightening picture. So powerful as well, you know? I mean, people were trained through I mean, year after year, all these different cultures. The sword was the weapon, the means. Killed so many different people. If you could imagine how many swords were made throughout history, and how many people died because of the sword. It's crazy to think about that Jesus uses this picture. I bring a sword. 
very powerful. But I think it's cool. I never heard this when I grew up. Um, I don't refer to myself as a church kid, but I was here by the time I was like in third grade. No one ever told me that Jesus came to bring a sword. Why didn't they tell me that? I wouldn't have had to watch Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I would have read the Bible. Jesus is planning on bringing a sword. No one ever told me he was planning on bringing a sword. That's so exciting and so daring. I mean, how many of you guys remember the fact, were you taught when you were younger, Jesus is going to bring a sword? No one says that. What's up? He came to bring a sword. The reality of the fact is that the great majority of religious teachers over the years have turned away from these things, like saying that Jesus is going to bring a sword. And as blunt as it is, they have castrated the picture of Jesus that you're looking at. They have taken away his manliness, taken away his manhood. Religious leaders have portrayed to us a picture of a white shining man who talks in a high voice with a very calm tone, don't they? Very peaceful, solemn. I'm Jesus. Quiet. Religious leaders have shown us an effeminate man whose number one goal on earth is to bring peace and to bring happiness. That's what so much the picture of Jesus has become, has it not? How many of you have been duped into thinking that peace was Jesus' middle name? A lot of us probably thought peace is, I mean, that's his modus operandi. That's the very, the very focus of Jesus is peace, right? We hear about this all the time. I tell you this, Jesus is not some weakling. He's a strong, powerful, shining example of masculinity. He's a strong, shining example of self-discipline as we see him here on earth. I say this, and write it down if you can and remember this. Jesus is a general, not an activist. He's a general. Jesus is real. And as we read through the Bible, we see that he can be extremely loud and quite offensive at times. Can he not? Let's not forget the fact that Jesus, when he entered into the temple and saw people changing things, he literally ran up. The picture that you've seen of this effeminate Jesus ran up, grabbed the man's tables, and threw them down, scattered his money, scattered his products, probably kicked a few goats out of the way. They were selling bad goats and sheep. Pike kicked them down, grabbed guys, turned them around, pushed them out. Not only that, but did you know that Jesus Christ made a whip and literally whipped people and chased them out of his temple? saying, my house is going to be called a house of prayer. Does that seem like that pansy Jesus that you keep on seeing? That seems like a man, doesn't it? He comes in and he literally gets mad enough that he just drives people out of temple and he says, you're all mistreating what God has given you and you don't even deserve to be here. That's very manly, isn't it? Masculine, not feminine. Although females can be pretty tough as well. He whipped people and he drove them away. Here's one that I get really offended at, okay? Because this whole point, this whole message series is, is about seeing Jesus in a new light. Seeing Jesus maybe a little different. One of the biggest ones that I get mad about is our picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because what we see is we see a very weak man who seems feeble, and he's battered, and he's left on this cross, and he looks amazingly weak, doesn't he? He looks just so, I mean, not even there, like he's barely hanging on. The problem is, is this, that we don't get to see the spirit realm. You see, if you had your spirit goggles on, you saw a man who was battered and who was weakened hanging on a cross, and literally every power in hell standing behind him, just hoping that he'll say go, so they can destroy the entire earth. You see a weak Jesus, but you don't see behind him 
thousands of angels standing, burning with their swords held, just waiting to kill every person that hurt Jesus Christ because he is God's son. You don't see God literally waiting, saying, just please let me just destroy these people because they're evil and they don't deserve it. The fact that everything was behind Jesus, just waiting for him, that if he called and said one word, let me tell you, every person on that mountaintop, everyone in the world could have just been destroyed by his call. He could have said, you know what, do it. And every single person on that mountaintop could have been dead like that. I mean, just instantly. There was so much power behind this man. And we don't see that. We see weakness. But what you should see is so much amazing strength that he, that he went through that, and he didn't. He didn't call upon all that power. He died. Jesus said he did not come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. So Jesus is hardcore enough to say this, but what does it mean? Why would Jesus say that he's coming not to bring peace, but to bring a sword? What does this mean? Why would he bring a sword? And here's the reasoning. It's not the fact that Jesus Christ was bringing everything that is entailed with a sword, a war, division, fighting. The fact is, is very, very rarely in history do people just bring a fight, a division, a uh, a reason to kill, all these different things, right? All these different things that war happens. But see, it comes from a central, a central point, a theme, something that they bring, and then it sparks into a reason for war, for fight, for division. See, what happened is he didn't bring conflict, but he brought something that was going to cl- create a whole lot of conflict. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what Jesus brought. He brought the fact that he was the Messiah, the one who was being waited for, the Son of God, the one that was prophesied through all of the Old Testament that was going to come and who's going to right all of this sin weight, all of these problems here on earth. He was going to turn it around and he was going to make something new. He literally brought the salvation story as we know it, the fact that every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we've sinned. By his laws, we are not clean anymore. And that when Jesus came, he said that he died on the cross and he paid for every one of them. So if we believe in him, if we put our faith in him, our trust in him, that when we die, we get to go on to heaven, to eternity with him. Last week we talked about hell. So if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't have this relationship, that your eternity is the other place, the lake of fire, hell. We talked about last week, listen to it. It's frightening to think about hell, just like we talked about. He brought this, and literally he brought the most important revelation of all of history. I mean, the biggest change, the biggest news that anyone was going to hear. Naturally, in our earth, back then, today as well, things of extreme importance are often extremely controversial and cause a lot of ruckus. Time and time again. When he brought this, that's exactly what he got. He got people who said, absolutely not, you're not the Messiah. Then he had people who would literally give away everything they had. We see disciples who throw away everything they have in their life to follow him wholeheartedly. And we see people who literally stand and chant and scream, kill him, kill him, murder him. Because there's this huge divide. It's what naturally happens. I tell you this, not very often do people get into a fist fight over whether or not ketchup is good on hot dogs. Some families do. I know some of you guys might have those families. But often it takes something that's 
a really deep and powerful difference, doesn't it? Something that actually stirs emotion. Something that is important. People find these different things all over. Some of you guys probably have these things um, other than Jesus Christ. Different views in your mind that you said you would literally fight for. Things that you absolutely have a steadfast adherence to in one direction or the other because that's, that's one of the biggest things about things that are really, really important, often controversial. It's usually 100% one way or 100% the other way. Very, very rarely do people actually hang in the middle on these really pointed subjects. There's probably things like this uh, in your own life. I've used this example before, but I'll use it again. One of the biggest examples that we see on a daily basis is, is a country and freedom. I mean, people either don't care at all, it seems, or people really, really care. Military, literally willing to give their lives for their country. You see this divide, and you see this passion for what they truly believe. So, how many of you actually have things that you believe strongly enough that you'd be willing to fight for them? A lot of people? Some of you? A couple of you? When Jesus brought this, this is exactly what he knew was going to happen. He knew that the truth he was speaking of was so important that it was going to cause people to either fully grasp a hold of it or absolutely hate it. He knew it was going to happen. He knew that it was going to cause a fight, a sharp rift, and he actually understood it and he didn't care. He knew it was going to cause division. Uh, 2 Corinthians actually 2, 14-16 says this, and I'm going to read it in the message. It says, in the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way to salvation, an aroma redolent with life. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. What he says is the fact that this faith in him, this belief and holding true to it, is going to absolutely divide people. Some are going to absolutely love you because they see Jesus Christ and that's the direction they're going. And some, they said, you're going to smell like a rotting corpse, just disgust in their mind, in their soul for you because it's not what they want. He knew it would happen. And he didn't mind it was going to happen. That's why he said, I bring a sword. He understood it was going to happen. He went on to say this, that he was going to come to turn families against each other. In this area, we see, he says, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Your family is going to be the people who are going to fight you. That's what he's saying. This is much along the same lines as what I was just talking about. This truth of salvation would divide people because of how powerful it was. Now, not many families, except maybe the Costanzas, would separate and get into a fight over, let's say, an answer to a game show on TV, right? Card Sharks. It's a deadly game. But if it's something important, even families will begin to divide, will begin to fight and fray. Basically, it says this in the Bible, that anyone who isn't with the Lord, who is fighting for him, is fighting against him. That's what the Bible says. Jesus is saying that um, even though it might be your family, it might be your mom or dad, your brother or your sister, if they're not on the side of the Lord, they're your enemies. Sad to say, but that's the absolute truth. Um, the reason why he uses family is, once again, just like I talked about two weeks ago, is he's using something that's extremely grasp, 
worthy of us. We can understand family. We can understand how tight those bonds are. So when he says it's going to divide a son and a father, you know that it's going to be something really, really effective, right? Because you feel those bonds in your daily life. That's why he used these things. That's why he, he said this. Even the strongest of bonds would be tore apart, right? Um, Matthew 10.22 actually says, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus says that if you love me, people are going to hate you. Absolutely. Even to the division of families. When I read this, it really reminded me of um, our civil war in the United States. There's stories, countless stories, of um, literally brothers, father and son, fighting on two separate sides of this war. I mean, families divided by this issue, um, the southern and the northern, and families who killed each other, who fought in battles and killed each other. The son and, son and father, I've heard stories about that. It's crazy, isn't it? It just seems almost unacceptable. But that's what happens when something is such a sharp division, division. Something is so important to someone. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying here. I can't tell you how many times I have actually heard this to be true. I can't tell you how many kids, some of you sitting out here today, I have heard the story of becoming saved and going home and absolutely being a war zone at home, having to deal with mom, dad, brother, sister. And it's not, you know, oh, good for you that you know Jesus Christ. It is a hurtful, offensive, terrible ordeal where it's not at all fair. Um, And Jesus said this was going to happen. He said that he was going to bring a sword that would cut apart families. Um, Jesus was calling us for this, to live wholeheartedly, sold out, absolutely fanatically for him. And when you live this way, people just can't understand you. It's not going to happen. When people have a, just when they're fanatics about things, if you're not with them on it, you really just don't understand them, do you? There's, there's a block. And that's exactly what he's saying, is that I call you to be completely sold out and live this way, and even your family's just going to say no, and they're going to fight you on it. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have gotten saved, and I mean, some of the hardest problems is going home, you're all fired up, and you go home, and you're absolutely smacked down by your family. Because they don't believe it, they don't care about it, and even more so, man, your family can really, really hurt you. Really hurt you during stuff like that. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. You have to expect it. This is what's really going to happen. Like I said before, Jesus was never about telling half of a story. He told all of it. He told about the beauty of following him, and he told about some of the pain of it too. Even your families are going to be divided. He's calling us to really be willing that even if people are going to hate us, even if people are going to divide against us, even if our own family is going to separate from us, that we will still grasp a hold of his truth and we'll take it. Because we see how much more beautiful his, his promise is than even how painful that stuff can be. But that's just the reality. Now Jesus, um, aside from that, um, he said, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Now this here just begs a whole host of questions, does it not? Because like I said, a lot of people have been saying um, that Jesus is all about peace. When, br- when he brings us news, he doesn't bring some pansy ideal. I say that. He brings to attention a promise that must be fought for, that will be a struggle, both good and bad. This is what he brings. From the very beginning, Jesus did not call us to peace. He says it here himself, kind of protecting 
um, what he's believing. Even though the fact is that probably many of us have been taught and our feeling of Jesus has consistently been mostly peace, right? It seems awkward to hear him say, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. It seems like some sort of wrong teaching. How could this be? Very, very often we see this idea that being a Christian is all about being at peace. Hands folded beautifully. Being at peace with yourself, with those around you. Jesus wants to bring your life peace, and he wants to make it happy and easy with a rosy glow. Yes and no. Yes and no. John sixteen thirty three, Jesus speaks the words of peace. Go through the Bible and actually look at when Jesus says peace. Most of the time, it's just in greeting. He says, peace be with you, brothers. But when does he actually talk about peace? Look at it and read it. He says this. Now, some people will say, Jesus came to bring peace. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus speaks of peace and he says, I've, I've done these things so that you may have peace. Now people would say, see, Jesus is all about peace. But what does he say? He says, it's peace in me, but this world is going to be trouble. He wasn't just talking about um, you know, I want to bring you peace. He was saying you're going to have peace. You're going to have peace. But here, here comes the problems. Paul, he was a follower of God, right? Did tons of things for him. Paul was stoned. He was in a city, and they, they absolutely just wigged out, and they stoned him. Thought he was dead. Left him for dead. Luckily, he got up, went back with, the, with all of his brothers and stuff like that, was mended, cured, and he came back and preached there again. After all of that, almost every one of the apostles died for their faith. They didn't grow old and die, but they were hunted down by people who hated them and took their lives because of what they believed in. It's a trouble he's talking about here on earth. Jesus says he brings a sword because in all reality, when he brought these things, he brought with him a war. We are not called to peace. Forget that. We are not called to peace. Jesus wants you to be prepared for a war. For what this world's going to do to you, what this world's going to try to do to you, what it's going to take from you, what it's going to smash in your life, all these different things. Um, Jesus was preparing us for this. We actually see a command that Jesus says that I couldn't even find it in commentaries. It's so crazy. I don't know if people have just have been afraid of, of actually saying that this happened by Jesus. But before he was crucified, he's talking to his disciples. And um, he says this to him. It's in Luke. I'm going to read it to you um, in the message. He's talking to them, kind of giving some final things before they go and pray and then they have the Last Supper and Jesus goes to be crucified. So, I mean, these are the crucial hours he's talking to his disciples. And he says this when he talks to them. Jesus said, When I sent you out and told you to travel light, you took only the bare necessities. Did you get along all right? Certainly, they said, we got along just fine. This is the first time he sent him out. When he was preaching with him, he told him, go out into the surrounding area right here. Go tell all of the Jews about me being the Messiah. He says, don't take anything with you. Go into a house. Ask them if you can stay there. If they say yes, pronounce a blessing on the house. If they say no, then just walk out, shake the dust off your shoes, and keep on rolling. 
Go into a city. If they're, if they're nice to you, if they're gracious to you, you accept everything they give to you and you preach my word. If they don't like you, you walk out and you shake the dust off your heels and he says it would be better to be Sodom and Gomorrah than to be that city because they will be destroyed and punished by God. That was the first time he sent them out. Now Jesus says this. After they said, certainly we got along just fine, he says, this is different. Get ready for trouble. Look to what you'll need. There are difficult times ahead. He says, pawn your coat and get a sword. What was written in scripture, he was lumped in with criminals, gets its final meaning in me. Everything is written about me is now coming to a conclusion. They said to him, look, master, two swords. But he said, enough of that, no more sword talk. And after this, they went off and they prayed in the garden. Jesus is talking to him about their next assignment. He sent them out the first time where they come back and they were so excited they got, to, they got to lay their hands on people and people were healed and all these different things. And now Jesus is laying down the fact that I'm going to my death. He says that the fact of, of lumped with criminals, two criminals on each of his side, that everything was coming to a conclusion. Everything in scripture about this man dying on the cross, he says, I'm going to my death. And he's explained this to him over and over again. And what he's doing is he's getting them ready for their next mission, which is I die I'll come back. Your message has changed. Not no longer follow this man who's standing here, the Messiah, but now follow the re-resurrected Jesus Christ. Your message has changed, and now your tactics have to change too. Because now it's not just about the Jews right here in the surrounding area, but you're to take this message to the entire world. And what he's saying is, there is going to be trouble. It's going to be hard. It is not going to be easy. He literally says, sell your coat, buy a sword. This isn't just the message uh, Bible. Other translations say the same. NIV says, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It's exactly what Jesus said. He literally told them, go buy a sword. And they said, we have two. And he says, well, that'll be enough. Jesus was calling us to the fact that it was going to be hard. It was going to be a war. Um, People have taken this in different ways. I think people are kind of afraid to think that Jesus actually said this. I've heard people say that Jesus was using uh, allegory and he was, he was ba- basically making, um, he was even using in this point sarcasm. I don't get this out of that when I read it. I think maybe even people are kind of scared to think that Jesus Christ actually said, sell your cloak by a sword, because that's pretty hardcore, isn't it? That kind of goes against what some of them said. This is what I see. I see that He's basically saying the fact that before you depended on the generosity and God's provision, but times have changed, times are hard, you need to really look out for yourself too. God's still going to bless you, but you need to make sure that you actually provide. Man, take that money sack with you because it's going to be tough. You're going to need some cash. You know, look out for what's going on. Plan ahead. And he says, go buy a sword. He says, basically, you better look out for yourself too. This world is really evil, really bad. God's going to help you, but you better be watching for yourself too. He's calling them to basically go out and, I mean, just go out into the world and take care of it. And he's saying how dangerous it is. Like I said, times have changed. Be ready to protect yourself. He literally says, bring a sword. My sword, I want it back. Bring a sword. Now, some of your parents and grandparents, maybe even older than that, think that when they became Christians, they basically got peace here on earth. They basically found a way that the enemy wasn't going to harm them anymore. They figured they'd become Christians. Christians are all about being peace. They've signed up for some sort of protection plan from Satan, right? They're set on easy street. Everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be soft. Oh, being a Christian is just this most beautiful thing. 
I go to church on Sunday. I go home and eat fried chicken. I come back on Wednesday and I talk about how good my fried chicken was on Sunday. Then I go out to eat with them afterwards, get some ice cream, come back on Sunday and talk about how good the ice cream was. Right? Lame. That's the one word I have for this. Lame. That's what people have been thinking Christianity is about. Lame. I tell you this, I do not want a peace treaty. I don't want a peace treaty. I want to strap a sword to my back. I want to crawl underneath barbed wire. I want to jump over fences, break through the inner line of defense, and stab my sword up to its hilt in the soft underbelly of my enemy. I want to see them bleed. That's what I want. So when I see Jesus say, I bring a sword, that brings it to me, doesn't it? Jesus did not call us to peace, to have this peace treaty. He called us to fight. That's why he said, I bring a sword. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this, We are human, but we don't wage war with human plans and methods. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas, and we teach them to obey Christ. People who aren't on God's side, like I said before, even your family, are on Satan's side. If they're not with us, they're on the other side. But don't think that you're going to run in and you're going to cut your mom's head off. (laughs) They're on the enemy's side, but I come to bring you this. They're on the enemy's side, but they are human shields and they are hostages amongst the army. Human shields and hostages, that's what they really are. I don't fight them. I'm not planning on breaking in and having a sword fight with my unsaved mom, uh, I'm saying for you guys, my mom's saved actually, with my unsaved dad, with my unsaved mother-in-law, as Jesus says, all these different people that he called out. Um, I plan on going in, and I plan on fighting with Satan, with everything he's put in their lives. And what I plan on doing is when I leave, I come in one and I leave two or three. I take those human shields, and I take those hostages back with me, and I leave on the floor a bloody mess of my enemy, and I take them back with me. Jesus brings a sword. He called us to this. He didn't say it's about peace. He said it's about action. That's why Jesus brings a sword. People have constantly, constantly, ever since the beginning now it seems, put this aura of peace around Jesus. The problem is, is that it turned out in the wrong way. At first, it was probably said in the right way. Jesus was a peaceful man. You're right. He wasn't violent. He didn't come and tell people, grab a physical sword and go start killing people that don't believe what I say. That's not what Jesus said. So I guess he was peaceful, but it's turned the wrong way. Now it's made him look weak and negated the fact that Jesus brings war against the side of evil. I say this, Jesus has been looked at as a hippie, but he's supposed to be looked at as a general. People think he's peaceful because that's what he believes, and he's a free spirit, man. But he believes in peace just like a general does. Here's the reason why. A hippie, they want peace at any cost, don't they? Just peace, man. Free love, peace. But here's the deal. A general wants peace, but they understand that it's going to take conflict and it's going to take blood to gain that peace and to hold that peace. 
Search the Bible. I dare you, just like the Bereans did in the Bible, and look, see if I'm wrong. Did Jesus speak about peace here on earth, about that being the important thing? Or did Jesus speak about fighting everything that was evil, about taking back those captives and those human shields? Read it and you'll see the fact that Jesus talked about peace, but he talked about our peace far off. He talked about trouble and fight here. I know that Jesus meant this. When I read this, I don't have any questions. Some people will read it and say, I don't really know if Jesus meant that when he said, I come to bring a sword that's so crazy, but I know that he really means this, and this is why, okay? All these different things we hear about Jesus Christ, and it all comes down to this. After everything is said and done, after everything is over, at the very end of all of existence, in Revelation, we get to see Jesus Christ come back. No doubt, it's not so pansy. I want to read it for you. In Revelation 19, 11 through 21, in the message, it says this. Then I saw heaven open wide, and oh, a white horse and its rider. The rider, named Faithful and True, judges and makes war in pure righteousness. His eyes are a blaze of fire. On his head, many crowns. He is a name inscribed that's known only to himself. He is dressed in a robe soaked with blood and he is addressed as word of God. The armies of heaven mounted on white horses and dressed in dazzling white linen follow him. A sharp sword comes out of his mouth so he can subdue the nations, then rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the raging wrath of God, the sovereign strong. On his robe and thigh is written, King of kings, Lord of lords. I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to all flying birds in middle heaven, Come to the great supper of God. Feast on the flesh of kings and captains and champions, horses and the riders. Eat your fill of them all, free and slave, small and great. I saw the beast and assembled with him earth's kings and their armies, ready to make war against the one on the horse and his army. The beast was taken, and with him his puppet, the false prophet, who used signs to dazzle and deceive those who had taken the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. They were thrown alive, those two, into lake fire and brimstone. The rest were killed by the sword of the one on the horse, the sword that comes from his mouth. All the birds held a feast on their flesh. This is the picture of Jesus Christ, the very same man who said, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. This is the final time we'll see him here on earth, in this earth. And he comes back, and does he come back peacefully? Does he come back nice and shiny? Jesus comes back as a general. The same thing that he's saying, and I'm telling you he said to these disciples, the same thing that he wants us to hear tonight is exactly what's going to happen when he comes back. It says that Jesus comes back in a white robe dipped in blood. That's frightening imagery, isn't it? Soaked in blood, his robe is. And behind him, guess who follows him? Us. It says all of heaven. Everyone who had went and become part of heaven, all the angels and all of us who say we believe in him come back riding white horses ready to kill the enemy and finish this war to end it. We fight with him. Jesus, what do you know, is our general. He's our commanding officer. He's the one who we, fo- who we follow. Jesus is not calling us to live peacefully. That's not what he's saying. Read the Bible and you're going to see it. He's calling us to live forcefully 
in this world. Making every day count. Submitting our bodies, minds, and souls to the fight that he has laid before us. Because of the ultimate gift that he has given us, we see that we have to fight. It's far too important. It's far too important just to leave go as it is. So, he says, bring a sword. I bring a sword. I'm going to bring a sword to you. I'm going to take mine. If nothing else tonight, this is what I want you to get. Jesus Christ is a lot different than I think most people think he is. I think a lot of people think him, like I said, as this weak, I mean just effeminate man. And he is a general who says, I do not call you to that, but I call you to war. I call you to fight against everything that is evil, to take back these captives and these human shields and bring them back into our camp so that they may have life. Jesus is saying, I brought a sword. He had guts. He had the heart to actually say it. So I hope you see the fact that Jesus was crazy enough to say it, but are we crazy enough to follow it? He says, I bring a sword. Are you going to bring a sword too? If you say you believe in him, are you just going to say you believe in him, or are you going to actually get out your sword and are you going to sharpen it? Are you going to go home and are you going to practice your sword fighting skills? Are you going to sharpen your technique, sharpen your ability to fight, your ability to kill? Or are you just going to let it go? And some other people might say, you know, I don't even know this Jesus Christ really. It sounds intriguing, but I don't really know him. But I really have to understand this awesome truth that is so important that people are literally worth I mean, willing to fight and to die for it. That has to be something real. And if that's you tonight, man, talk to somebody about that. Tell somebody, I don't really get it yet, but I know that that has to be real when you hear about that passion. When you, you hear about that fight in people's hearts. So are you going to bring a sword? Jesus said he was going to bring his. I want to pray with you guys. Lord, I thank you for tonight, and I thank you for your word. Jesus Christ, I thank you for the passion that you laid down on this earth when you were here. And Lord, I look forward to the day that I get to fight with you, Lord God, to finish this world off, to finish Satan and all of his cohorts off. And thank you, Jesus Christ, for this message that you've put in our hearts. Lord God, the fact that we are not to live peaceful lives, you did not come to bring peace. You said it yourself. You came to bring a sword. You came to bring war, and you came and division was going to happen. So I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would let this get down in our hearts, even if it might be hard. And Jesus Christ, if it's exciting to us, then let us actually respond to this. Let us actually take it. Let us actually get our sword and follow along with you to fight your fight. I thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. In your name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.